As I said in the announcements, we draw to a close in our four-part series, New Steps. And in our first week, just a little recap, we talked about walking so that we would avoid complacency, meaning that we walk as people who see the need around us, and we are people who reach out. We make a difference in the world because our Lord and Savior has redeemed us and given us His Holy Spirit. In the second week, we talked about walking so as to know the only true Jesus Christ, our Savior, meaning that as people of God, we are grounded in the Word, and we know truth from falsehood, understanding it and weighing it against that Word. Last week, Pastor Mark talked about walking away from the past, walking from its failures, how it often seeks to define us because we are people who are daily redeemed in our baptism by Jesus Christ, living out that new life as we go out into the world. And today, as we heard the word in Colossians, we are called not only to walk, but to not walk alone in this world. We have been given walking orders in the Great Commission to be relational witnesses in our world, seeking others to join us in this walk, following our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, there's a book entitled Leadership and Self-Deception. And in that book, it talks about our relationships with people. How often in our relationships, there are moments that we sense that there is something that we need to say, something that we need to do, something that we are to act upon. And it says in that book, if we don't do those things when we feel those promptings in that relationship, they call it an act of self-betrayal. I say that, for instance, maybe you're walking along the sidewalk and you see some trash there. There's that moment that takes place in your mind where you say to yourself, somebody should pick that up. Maybe you're prompted inside to say, I should pick that up. Who else is going to do it? The book would say, if you ignore that, if you walk by that, because that's already in you, part of your core, you're creating self-betrayal in yourself because really you wanted to do it. I'll give you another example. When our kids were babies and that two o'clock feeding would come along and I would hear that cry because I'm a light sleeper and Sarah's a very, very heavy sleeper. We would often say a train couldn't wake her up. So I'd wake up and I'd hear it and maybe it was her turn and I'd nudge her because it's her turn. That's the way we did it. And she wouldn't stir. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I could get up. I should do this. It's our child after all. I care about it. I should get up and feed. But the more I lay there, then I begin to play out this falsehood in my head, beginning to say, well, why doesn't she wake up? I mean, what, is she lazy? Is she selfish? Why isn't she doing what she should do? And so my lens of seeing Sarah begins to be incorrect, and I begin to betray that prompting that says, I should be the one to get up. I should do this. Now remember, all Sarah's doing is sleeping. She's not saying anything. She's not refusing, but this is all going on inside of me. And because I don't act on what I know I should do and get up and take care of it, I create this act of self-betrayal. You know, one time it happened to me very early in my ministry, even when I was a vicar. I had arrived on the scene and the senior pastor left on vacation for four weeks and I was kind of left holding the bag. 
I remember a woman coming in off the street. She wasn't a member of our parish, but she had come to see a pastor, and she spoke with me. Her son was in prison. She wanted to know if I would go to the jail and visit him and talk to him. Well, I agreed, but the more I thought about it, the more that all of these reasons came up in my mind for not doing it. Oh, I knew I should do it. In my head, there was that prompting that said, you need to go do this. But I said it to myself, I'm new at this. I'm the only person here. I need to manage what's going on. I was afraid. I was scared. I'd never done this before. Whatever excuse, I made them up in my mind. Really, I betrayed myself by not doing what I knew I should do. You know, it became one of those moments for me in my ministry that I realized forever kind of vulcanizing that the next time somebody would ask me something, I wasn't going to do that. I wasn't going to go through with that act of self-betrayal. That when someone wanted me to visit, I'd visit. When someone wanted to pray, we pray now so that I would never have that feeling in me again. I say that because as Paul is writing this letter to the church at Colossae, he's talking about our relationships with people. He's talking about how we walk as people of God. He's talking about how the Holy Spirit works through us. Many of those promptings, many of those acts. And in this last chapter, he is giving us final words. Words from prison. Words that he is never going to have a chance to say again to this church. Asking them to do something. And if you take out your worship folders because we're using the ESV version, you'll have to follow along in that. I want you to just look at the few opening verses once again as we talk about those. Paul begins with this request of the church at Colossae and of us. He says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Steadfast, immovable, not being shaken, not giving up on it, looking for opportunities to pray, seeing the need around us, not being blind to those things. When the Holy Spirit might prompt us to pray for something, as I said, we pray for it. We take that time. But not only that, Paul says, anticipate the answer because he says, be watchful in it, with thanksgiving, knowing that the Lord will hear us, knowing that the Lord will answer us. Just as Jesus said today in the gospel, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. We know there's four answers basically to prayer that the Lord always gives, but he does give an answer. It's the answer yes to our prayer. It's the answer no to our prayer. It's the answer yes, but you're going to have to wait a while. It's not a right now, or it's the answer no, but I have something better in mind for you that you never imagined. The Lord answers. Paul is saying we can be thankful in all of those things, anticipating that answer that the Lord would give in his direction in our lives. And Paul continues then, he says, and at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. You know, often I'm asked what's the most important thing as we talk to someone else, someone who is not in the household of faith about our faith in Jesus Christ. 
And I often reply, it's beginning and establishing a relationship with them. It's not just a cold call of somebody that you don't know because you need that relationship in those moments that you look for to be able to speak. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying pray for an open door. Pray for an open heart. Pray for that moment when someone asks you that question because they want to know what you believe. You cannot force the message through a closed door. You cannot force someone to receive what God is giving them. You can't cram Jesus through the keyhole. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit would open someone's heart for that moment that we have because relational witness is above all people, talking to people, being with people, relating to people walking with people. And without the Holy Spirit opening a door in someone's heart, we are dead in the water. There's nothing we can speak. Only God can do that. Paul says, be steadfast and devoted in prayer and pray for those open doors and open hearts because only God can soften and make ready those things in order that we might declare the mystery of Jesus Christ. You know, we know past, one of Pastor Mark's favorite words in the Greek is that dunamis, that dynamite word, power. But this is one of my favorites, mysterion, the mystery of Jesus Christ, because it describes so much of our faith in Jesus Christ. The mystery of the God-man, the mystery of why God would give his only son to redeem the world, the mystery of why Jesus would die on the cross to take away our sins, the mystery of bread and wine being body and blood, the mystery of what takes place in the waters of baptism. These are the things of our faith, the gifts of his grace, a mystery from a loving God who wipes away our sins. Paul says, Pray for that open door, that we might be able to declare that, to talk about what we know, what Jesus Christ has done for us. And then Paul goes on to say, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. You know, so often a lot of people say, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to talk to someone. I'm afraid I might say something wrong. Paul, too. Pray that I might make it clear. There's a lot riding on this. But Paul doesn't say, pray that I might be clever. Pray that I might be impressive in my knowledge. Pray, pray that I might be likable. What he says is, pray that I might be clear. That I might speak to someone about what I know. That's what being a witness is. What you know. What God has done in your life. How Jesus has redeemed you. It's that simple. That clear. Nothing more, nothing built up or puffed up, just the love of Jesus that is poured out into your heart. Paul goes on to say, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Pray that God would open those doors. Pray to make it clear. Pray that we don't do harm as we talk to somebody that we make it that simple, wonderful gift of God's grace. But he also says, walk in wisdom. Don't be obnoxious. Don't be overzealous. Don't be superior. We see that a lot of times with some people who want to just cram it down somebody's throat, beat them up, leave them bloodied with the Word of God because, hey, I know all about this. I can do it. What Paul's saying is be sensitive. 
Be careful. Have great concern when we talk about this because it's so important that someone knows what Jesus Christ came into this world to do, what unconditional love and forgiveness is, what it means to rise every morning in that grace and forgiveness and have a new start in our lives. Be careful. Be wise. Understand what people are asking you. And then Paul concludes, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Gracious and seasoned with salt. I love those two things side by side. Gracious, be loving, be winsome in our speech, be filled with grace. In fact, what Paul is really saying is error on the side of grace when you talk to someone. Tell them how incredible it is, how the love of Jesus is boundless. But then he also says, be seasoned with salt. And what he means is be a little edgy in that. Make sure that they understand how important this is. Don't let them think, well, that's just a nice story that you're telling Tell them that this is forever, this is the whole ball game, that eternity is on the line. It's okay to say those things, that you want them to be with you, with Jesus forever in that kingdom of eternity that he grants us. Don't forget to let them know exactly the depth of what we're talking about here. You know, there's a man by the name of Mohammed Puyaya Rami. He was a student that I knew in my days, early days at Concordia. We called him Mo. We had an exchange program when I was there at Concordia where if we needed a class that wasn't offered at Concordia, we could go to U of M. And when they had foreign students come in that needed some base classes and a little more orientation, they would come over to Concordia. Mo was one of those students. But Mo was also a great soccer player. He was from Iran, and these were the days soon after the election had taken place and the hostages had been released from Iran. You know, you can imagine at Concordia's campus, this young man from Iran walking around. He kind of stood out for sure, but he was a great soccer player, and the team would often eat together dinner in the evenings. I remember Mo, he sat there many times alone, didn't have a lot of conversation with people. There was some difficulty in language. But I also remember that one of the girls' soccer players, her name was Sue, at one time walked over and sat down with him and began a conversation with him. Well, they became friends, a very unlikely pair. Sue was from Frankenmuth. She waitressed at Zender's during the summer, this little German girl with this Muslim man from Iran. They would walk together all over the campus, talking all the time. Eventually, Sue brought Mo to church where we would go at St. Luke's, and Mo would sit in the very back of the room, and he would watch. Sue would go to communion, and he would just watch all the happenings, wondering what was going on. Eventually, the time came that Mo did become a believer in Jesus Christ. And I remember in his days when he had gone back to U of M and had finished and now his visa was up and he had to go back to Iran that the church came together and prayed over him in his going back because they knew it was a death sentence. We prayed for his safety. We prayed that God would protect him from his family and from others. 
You know, I don't know what happened to Mo after he left the United States. I know I'll see him again someday. But I remember asking Sue, we were in choir together, what it was that made her finally become this friend of Mo, such an unlikely pair. She said, you know, I was sitting there and I saw Mo and I had watched him play soccer and I saw him kind of sitting there alone. She said, I had this prompting inside, something that said, walk across the room and say hi. And so I did. Sue befriended Mo and eventually was able to have that moment of an open door, to have that conversation, to walk over, to talk about her love in Jesus Christ. We know that that is the Holy Spirit working within us, and he prompts us all at different times. Sue found that open door. And when that prompting came, she had two choices. One was to betray herself, to sit there and ignore it, and the other was to get up and to talk to somebody. She listened. She walked across the room, and with grace and wisdom in her speech, this little girl, German girl from Frankenmuth, forever was able, through the power of the word, to change the life of this young man from Iran. You know, we hear the Great Commission is the marching orders of our church, that God and our Lord Jesus Christ have said to us, go into all the world. And I think sometimes we take it just as that, that it's in order, that it's plain, that it's basic, and that we must do it. And we forget so often that our heart must be engaged in this, that it is about the love that has been poured into us through Jesus Christ. And what we need to pray with those open doors, with making our words clear and having wisdom is that we would also have the heart for the lost, the heart that our Savior had for this entire world that he has for us, the heart that wants to see people redeemed and loved and wrapped in the grace and forgiveness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. May we ever Lift that in our prayers. May we ever be that church, the church who walks in Jesus Christ, taking new steps in our lives, walking with wisdom towards outsiders, walking because our Lord has promised to lead us, to guide us, and to be with us. Amen.